When we were here, I'm just going to tell a little bit of the history. We were here from 2011 to 2015, so we were fortunate enough to live here, and that was a, a great time. Uh, working as an expat is, is a, a nice thing to be able to do, and uh, having uh, we literally we, we had uh, the name of Holland Park and the Point Church. We came to the Point one Sunday morning, our first Sunday, and we never went to Holland Park. Because we said, this is home, and there's no need to go and, and try any place else. And so it was, it was really a, a wonderful time for us, thanks to many of you. And so it's just such a pleasure to be back. And really the highlight, though, uh, wasn't necessarily this group. over. That was a highlight. Uh, but the highlight was really this group in our minds. Uh, and our dear sister Gwen uh, really led us down this path that, that I think we need a Bible study for this uh, group of uh, uni kids. They're getting older, uh, and, and they're here. And so this is uh, the group at, at our apartment, and I believe this is either the Christmas of 2013 or 2014. I do not know. Uh, but uh, a lot of people, and some of them you can recognize behind their uh, their disguise or not. So they love to dress up. We had many uh, parties. This is one of them. There were some notable people missing from the group at this point. Nathan had already uh, moved away. And uh, I see Megan is not here, I don't think. And uh, Damien uh, had not come yet. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving others out. But anyway, it was a great Great group. It came at a great time in our life. It was uh, just so wonderful to be with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we still call them our kids. And, and next to our kids, there are none that we love more. So part of that group was also we got to go through many studies. So over 150, you know, times together. I don't know how many, but I know it's over that number. And of course, as, as, I was leading that. That was a little bit of a challenge. But we uh, were able to do some textual studies, but we soon found that a need to rely on others. And what I'm going to talk to you about is, is actually something, one of my favorites from our studies together. And so those of you who are here uh, will, will recognize this uh, study, which is from Andy Stanley, a guy who's a great teacher and uh, really related well both to the to the younger people and, and to me, and I learned a lot from it. But this study is called Christian, It's Not What You Think, and I actually have that link there. And if you're interested, you can go online and watch these. And I recommend you do because Andy is a very good teacher and uh, much more eloquent than I am. However, uh, we, we will uh, steal shamelessly from his material this morning uh, to talk about, first, what is a Christian? So this is just a Google search on on what is a Christian. When you go to that, you see there are 1.5 billion results on Google for what is a Christian. And then, you know, this is right at the top. Uh, So right at the top is a definition from Oxford Languages, which says relating to or professing Christianity or its teaching, a person who has received Christian baptism or is a believer in Christianity. So that's uh, what it says. Uh, now, we're going to come back to that. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Uh, maybe it's not. That's not very satisfying for me. But uh, here's how some 
define a Christian, right? Some define a Christian in a, in a much less uh, positive way than how this first definition looks on Google. And this is, this is a quote from Andy Stanley. But I don't know about you, but I can relate to that quote. Uh, I, I think that is what a lot of people think uh, about what a Christian is. And, uh, and I'm not happy with that. But that is how the world uh, thinks of Christians to a large extent. So what about that, uh, that name Christian? How, how did we get that? How did we get that name? Well, most of us know this scripture from Acts 11, verse 26. Uh, says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so uh, here's where Paul and... And Barnabas were up here teaching many people be converted, and this name Christian was used. And then another in Acts, famously in Acts, when Paul was making his defense to King Agrippa, who was familiar with the Jews, he says. He's familiar with their traditions, with even these things that happened. And it says, and Agrippa said to Paul, in short time, would you persuade me to be, and I'm going to put my emphasis on it, a Christian? You're trying to persuade me to be a follower, a Christian, a part of this group? And so it's it's not in a positive way that he's using this. In fact, let, let's look. This is a quote from the first uh, century, actually, uh, a little bit past the first century. But here, the, the Roman historian Cornelius Tacitus is referring back to Nero. And so what's happened in, in Rome, as we all know, is Nero has probably started this fire because he wants to build a new uh, part of Rome, most of which is where he wants to live. But it's not his, and it has all these other things on it, so... There's a fire that started, and then, of course, it's linked back to him. So he's trying to bl- place blame, and this is what he says, right? Consequently, to get rid of the report that he had started the fire, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures. Uh, many thousands of Christians crucified is what that is. On a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, that is, crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. And so what we see here is that Christian is not a positive thing in the, in the Roman culture, right? That wasn't a positive name. This was an evil, according to them. These were people who are an abomination, who kind of deserved this torture, even though <clears throat> they knew it wasn't true that they had started this fire. And so this is actually a really interesting quote from a historical point because it, it verifies much of what I talked about last time, the gospel. It verifies that uh, to a large extent. Uh, 
at least that Jesus was here and that he lived and that he died by at the hands of Pontius Pilate. What, uh, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16, as we continue to look at the word Christian, in the New Testament it's used again, right? If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Now, it really helps to have had that other quote before we see this one to understand what Peter is talking about here. Okay, in the culture, it's something to be ashamed of. If somebody's calling you a Christian, it's something, it's a, it's a horrible name on, on a group of people who would have been reported to be cannibals, right? And have all kinds of strange practices. So he says, if you suffer as a Christian, he's just said, well, you don't want to suffer for doing wrong. But if you suffer for as being a Christian, that's okay. Don't be ashamed of that. But use this really negative name to basically glorify God. Okay? In this name that's a, a, a very derogatory term. And that's the end of what the New Testament says about Christian. This word Christian is only used three times. No more, just three. And uh, if we look at the term, every time that it's used, it's really in a, in a more of a pejorative sense. And, you know, I was in Australia long enough to learn the term bogan, you know. Or a geek, or a lot of things that are worse than that, that, that people use commonly, that really is not proper for me to say. The derogatory terms that are equivalent to Christian really aren't things that I probably should be saying here. But these two seemed innocuous enough. Uh, so, please note, it was never used by Jesus, Right? It was never used by the followers of Jesus to talk about themselves. But there is a term, right? There is a term that was used very frequently, and it's in that same verse where we get this, right? Who was called Christians? It was disciples. The disciples were called Christians. That term 275 times in the New Testament. So they never referred to themselves as Christians, but they did refer to themselves as disciples, as Jesus referred to them as disciples. The next most common term that they referred to one another is is brother and sister, just denoting this family relationship that we all have in the Lord. So they called themselves disciples, so what, what is a disciple? Well, I, I've pasted in a couple things out of a couple of references. Strong's um, definition, I love this, definition, a disciple. Uh, so this Greek word uh, means a disciple. Now, it's, it's always interesting when a word is defined by the thing that it is. Uh, but the usage gives you more help. It says a learner, a disciple, a pupil, and all of you will have put together at this point that it's related to this word math. And Vine says that that's because that indicates thought accompanied by endeavor. 
right? There's a thought process, but there's an action process. And what happened over time is it came from that broad meaning to a meaning that was more uh, specific today, right? It's, I guess because math uh, takes a lot of thought and a lot of endeavor. It came down to be very narrowed down and down and down. But it started out meaning what is equivalent of a disciple, a learner, a pupil, originally. So what did it mean to be a disciple of a rabbi in the New Testament times? Well, uh, the Hebrew term this says for what it means to be a disciple is something that I can't pronounce. And it means a deacon or, or somebody who serves the rabbi. And that's really the first part of being a disciple was this is in, I, I don't remember if this translates, but we call that a gopher, right? It's, it's somebody who does all the most menial chores for the rabbi. And, and uh, then as you're doing that, you're also learning the word of God and how to follow the word of God like your rabbi does. And the objective is to be like that rabbi. That's the objective. But you're serving them at the same time. So it's an interesting combination there because you're carrying their stuff, any baggage they have. You're making their meals. You're getting them whatever they need. Uh, need and that includes money. You're giving them money. All those things are part of being a disciple of a rabbi. And I think that's why there's the definition. Everyone understood that, right? There was no uncertainty on that term. They saw rabbis with disciples everywhere they looked. This was the common thing that was happening. And Jesus was another of those rabbis. Here's another kind of historical length, uh, link uh, from a guy called Ra- Rabbi Eliezer in the second century. And he's talking about uh, uh, walking through the market. And he says, I came across one of the disciples of Jesus, the Nazarene, and uh, names the disciple. And what he's going to go on to say is they're going to have a theological discussion. Okay, This Jewish rabbi and this disciple of Uh, Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, it occurs to me, maybe this is not a great reference to show that they were continued to be called disciples and not Christians. Because if you think about it, the Jews couldn't call them Christians. Because that would mean that they were related to the Messiah. And, of course, they didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. And so it was doubtful that they would have called them Christians, because uh, Christian was the word really just uh, translated for Messiah. So, uh, they were still referred to by this man as disciples. More importantly is, what did Jesus teach? What did he say about it? He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he may come, become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Again, exactly like uh, the definition that we know is there. Disciples are trying to become like their teachers. That's what disciples do. 
Or this from John 13. You call me teacher, that's rabbi, and even more than that, Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So when we look at this, we see that a rabbi, a rabbi uh, is teaching his disciples and the, the aspiration of the disciple is to be like that teacher and not only to be like them in what they think, but to be like them in what they do also. So, Christian versus disciple. We've got both of these terms. And here's really the, the challenge with Christian. What is it? Well, Jesus doesn't say, doesn't say what it is. We, we have inferred it. We have inferred it. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. But it, it gets used in all kinds of ways, right? Christian, for some in some way, we've even divorced it from Jesus. It's this term that can be used for almost anything, for almost anyone, to justify almost anything for almost anyone. Uh, you know, there, there's, uh, in, in our country, there's this thing called Christian nationalism. Well, well what's that? You know? They're, they're just all things that are attributed to Christians, uh, but what a really a Christian is and what that should be and tying that to our rabbi, it seems to have just lost its value in a lot of ways. So what's a, a disciple? Well, that term isn't used very much. And maybe the reason it's not used very much is because it's very clear. What is that? That's a follower. That's a person that says, what did Jesus do? That's what I want to do. What did Jesus teach? That's what I want to believe. What does Jesus ask of me? I want to do that. And even before I know what it is, I'm going to say yes, because he's my rabbi. He's the one I'm following. I'm aspiring to be like him. So disciple in some ways is too clear and, and, and you know, a famous quote that I don't know where this would have come from, but for all of us, it's, it's not what uh, we don't know in the New Testament that causes us problems. It's what we know. It's so clear what we need to do. It's so clear how we need to act. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And being a disciple is a challenge. So are these, uh, I'll let you judge, are these some of Jesus' last words? By this you'll know my, you are my Christians if you believe the right things. That's, that's not what Jesus said, right? He did have some last words and he said this to his disciples, right? Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. That's what disciples do. Again, it's very clear. We'll be known we are disciples if we love one another. So, 
uh, you'll indulge me because it's hard for us to get this in our minds. And when I'm teaching a lesson, it always means I'm mainly teaching me because I pick lessons mostly that I need most. So what's agape love? And Steve and I were talking about this last night in a, in a joking manner. <laughs> it's unconcerned with the self. It's concerned about the greatest good of another person. Not with my greatest good, with your greatest good, if I love you. It's not emotion or feelings. It's a decision. It's something we decide to do. Sometimes we might even have negative emotions about it, but we've already decided to do it, and that's what love is. I'm going to be committed to your uh, greatest good, no matter what I feel about it, and it requires some sacrifice. It's not something that comes at no cost to me, and it does. it's not a a quid pro quo. It's not something that I give you something, and I'm really expecting to get something back in return for that. That's not what it is. And that love, in that passage, he says, if you love one another, but, you know, Jesus teaching on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, tells us that it's not limited to just loving uh, inside this group. It goes outside, and in the most uh, challenging way, right? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Th- this is back to that challenge. That's very clear, but that's very challenging. My enemies, I want their greatest good even if they're persecuting me, even if they're killing me. That's what Jesus said, right? Father, forgive them. They're killing me. I still want their greatest good. So love, it's it's not a feeling. It's it's not an idea. John, uh, some call him the, the apostle of love. It says, dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And he talks about if you see your brother and, and, and he doesn't have anything to eat and you say, you know, go and be, be warmed and filled, that doesn't mean anything. That's not love. Love has to do with action. So since Jesus is our rabbi, there's so many things of his that we could uh, that we need to try to emulate. But I, w- I want to just highlight one this morning or two. When John talks about Jesus coming, he says, we've seen him, the son, full of glory. And he's Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. And, let you know, we think about those and there's a tension here, right? There's grace. That's an unmerited favor. And there's truth. There are the things that we know that we're supposed to be doing that we're not doing necessarily. And and there's always that tension there. Some people will say uh, love and justice. Okay. But grace and truth. There's a tension. And Jesus was the perfect embodiment of that tension. And it's why we see some of the things we 
we do, and that's what is our challenge to be also. So let's use the example of the woman at the well. So Jesus goes to the well in Samaria, and he finds this woman. And we see him full of grace. How is he full of grace? Well, he's full of grace in that he looks at her as a person. For a Jewish man, they wouldn't have looked at her as a person. She was a Samaritan, a despised class of people. They hated them, literally. Okay, She was a woman, a second-class person. And she was a sinner. He already knew that she was a sinner. She was not somebody, someone who was living a, a godly life. But he still treats her as equal. In fact, he ha- even has a, a discussion with her one-on-one uh, about theology and reveals to her what, at least as we know from the New Testament, all that's revealed, nobody, he had revealed to nobody, maybe not even his disciples at this point, that he was the disciple. He says, I am he. I am the Messiah. And so he gave her that honor. He treated her with honor. He treated her with love. But he also had the truth side, right? He said, go call your husband. He knew that was a problem. There was, there was a problem in her life, and he wasn't afraid to bring that right out. And, uh, and so even after that, uh, he is again, and when I, you know, I've always thought this as I read this passage, it's pretty rude even what he says, right? Because she asks a question, he says, well, should we worship here or in Jerusalem? He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from it, from our, our people. He didn't, he didn't tone it down any, right? He's just, this is the truth. You don't have any leg to stand on with, with this worshiping in this other place in Samaria. So he had both grace and he had that truth. And, uh, Cliff and I were talking last, uh, night about one of the most powerful advantages evangelist that we know and we were talking about how bold he was and how in people's face and unafraid to get in right in there and mix it up but the reason he could get away with it is because he had so much love for those people it was obvious that he had their greatest good in mind and so that tension is there it's hard for us but as disciples of jesus we're trying to keep that tension so do you guys recognize these? It's it's still around and sometimes even as a parody for other things in our culture, right? What what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? This this became uh, popular actually a long time ago. This book in his steps was written in 1896 about this fictional town where people decide that they're going to think about what Jesus would do before they act. And it, this what would Jesus do is not on the original book, but that's the concept that's put forth in it. And so it spawned a lot of thought back at that time and then again in the 90s, and then it, it will probably uh, come again. But anyway, that thought process, that's what really we want out of it. Conclusion. This term Christian was a pejorative term. It wasn't used by Jesus it wasn't used by his followers to refer to themselves, so it's, it's really not de- defined in the New Testament. 
um, they did use the word disciple. And it's clear what this means. And that's really the challenge. It's very clear what this means. So how are we going to apply that? So uh, I know I don't know if I see it up today. You, you have a nice uh, sign, great sign that says uh, simply Christians, right? So I'm, what I'm not saying is you need to take that sign down and that's wrong. OK, but I will say sometimes we need to talk better to be better. And so uh, we have the identity, and it's, it may be that it's no different today. And that's what I'm going to suggest as an application, is that people outside are going to use the term Christian. I, I'm involved with a small uh, college in Africa that's related to the church. And, we, you know, I was part of the, people, um, the team that said, we're going to put Christian in the name. That's because that means something, and people recognize that identity. But at least inside, let's think about using the word disciple. Or if you want to modernize it a little bit and say follower of Jesus, that's fine. But that's my suggestion is that we talk that way. And I remember back when we went through this study, after we did, I started doing that a lot. And I started having a hard time using the word Christian. Uh, Again, not that it's wrong, but that maybe it's not complete, right? Maybe it's not helpful for saying what becomes much clearer when I call myself a disciple of Jesus. And the other thing is, disciples, the way people are going to know that we're disciples is by love and action. And how do we, we need to... Focus on that, putting love in action. Focus on keeping that tension of grace and truth and focusing on the fact that it's really how we love or how we behave that has a lot bigger effect. And so I I just can't resist because, you know, this is a typo. I've got the wrong effect here, but for you Englishmen. But, but that effect, that effect comes from how I behave toward people. It doesn't come from what I believe. That gets nothing. So a disciple is a person who puts love in action, and then they're going to know our that we're disciples. So disciple, if you go and say, what is a disciple? If you go to Google, well, there's a measly 55 million results for that. But it's pretty sad. A personal follower of Christ. Oh, that sounds great. No, during his life. Now, uh, I could go say, well, he's still alive. So that's still no, that's not what they mean here. Right. During his life, that's what they were called way back then. And especially those that came to be known as the 12 apostles. All right. Here's what I hope. Someday it will say. A person who has dedicated their life to becoming like Jesus by following his teachings and putting selfless love into action like he did. And as far as Christian, I hope someday I'll say this. God bless you all.